Lord, I just thank you. I thank you firstly for the significance of this season in which as a culture we are encouraged to set our gaze on the different elements of our lives that we're grateful for. Whether it's people or friendships or uh, elements that are health maybe. Just different points in which maybe we've taken them for granted and yet we're encouraged to express gratitude. And especially, God, I thank you that in your house we're given the opportunity to express gratitude to you, the giver of all good things. And so as we've gathered here, Lord, and we've made this time an intention, um, I pray that you would help us to the best of our ability be fully present, to not be in a rush with you, but to give you the opportunity to speak to our heart. And that as we explore your word and the significance of what you might want to say as we reflect on the fruit of our lives, I ask God that you would give us a word that is tailored specifically for us where we're at. We ask for your blessing. We ask for your pleasure to remain here, God. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're, we've been walking through this series, Building Blocks for Sustainable Faith. And we've been walking through this section of the scriptures in which this man, the Apostle Peter, wrote a letter to a group of believers. He wrote two, actually. And the second letter he starts off with, he wants to summarize a couple things. He wants to reiterate some things he's already taught them. But he wants to give them an idea of, of emphasizing certain important qualities he longs for them to develop. And so that's what we've called the building blocks of a sustainable faith. And we walk through the nine virtues. But if, if we were to just summarize them, he starts on the internal work of our own heart. And he says, he wants us, he, he starts off with this idea of starting with the most intimate place, a faith. We are to build a life that is faith-filled. And then he moves through a progression of different virtues that end up leading us to a place where he says, that should express itself in the external parts. Brotherly kindness, that is how we treat each other within a faith community. And then ultimately love, that is how we treat everyone else in our lives. And so he has this progression. He says, this life is supposed to start in the internal and lead and show up in the external. These are the building blocks, he says. And as we have walked through and we spent significant time through each of these virtues, he ends up capping this section of his letter with this verse. And I asked him to put this up. He says, if these things are yours and, and you abound in them, if they, if they are plentiful in your life, then you will ne neither be barren. That is, what does that mean? Ineffective. That this faith of yours will not be ineffective. And nor will you be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he says, at the end of everything he had shared, at the end of these building blocks that we characterize them as, he says, listen, if we are to respond to what God is doing, our life will be affected by this faith we profess. And it will no longer be a stale statement of beliefs. It will actually show up in every area of who we are. It will start to affect who we are. And it will bear fruit. It will show up in the out, outer parts of who we are. It will not remain a lifeless religion. But it will be a faith that is active and vibrant and life-giving and will actually transform us. It will bear much fruit, he says. That is his desire 
for us. That is what a sustainable faith looks like. It bears fruit. It shows up. How does it show up? Well, it shows up by increasing amounts of wholeness internally, of peace, real peace, not theoretical, but real peace we experience. Even in the midst of tough circumstances and challenges that we may face, we are able to walk through it with resilience because this is actually happening in us. It shows up in the external parts of our lives, how we speak to each other, how we treat others, how we respond to people, our words, how they are laced with something of his goodness. Relationally, this will affect everything. It It bears fruit internally and externally. This idea that the life that is conscious of the fruit, what we produce, That it starts internally and it leads to the external parts. There's nothing new in terms of what Peter was saying. It's actually a theme that's found throughout major portions of the scriptures. And if you open up your handout, there's this one verse in the book of Proverbs, which is widely known as the book of wisdom. And Solomon and several others compiled these sayings. But Solomon wrote these sayings for his son, intending to raise his son to become a wise person. And he he says to them, he speaks on this theme. It has very much to do with where we're going here as as we shared this together. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance, he says. You see, another version says, above all things, guard your heart. That above everything else in your life, look internal. Keep your heart, be watchful. That is, maintain it, attend to it, be aware of it. And then he says, he says, for from it flow the springs of life. That is the issues of life, another version says, come from the heart. And what Solomon is saying, what Peter has been encouraging us to consider, is that life is largely determined not by the circumstances around us or the external factors of what we have or do not have or what we wish for or long for, but actually on the internal condition of our heart. And that actually determines much more how we walk this out than anything else. Which, I think we hear that and we could say, we agree with that, but can, can we hear this? It's actually, it, it's really difficult to live this out, isn't it? It's not the easiest to walk this out and, and incorporate into our daily lives, especially in a society in which, we could put it this way, it's maybe a little bit more consumer-driven. You know, and it's interesting on this weekend that we have just come off a holiday in which we're encouraged to be grateful for the many people and things and all the different blessings we have in our lives that on the day after, something very unique happens in our culture, doesn't it? Now, I don't know if you've seen these memes. I know I've seen one in which a child is sitting there kind of confused and he's asking the question. So you're telling me that on the day after you just spent being grateful for everything, you trample each other to get more things? Right? And he's like, that's just confusing. But that, that, that is a, 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 a picture of the world we live in. And none of us are above it. Every one of us are a part of it. And we, if we're honest with ourselves, there are different things within us that we say, you know what, it's much easier to focus on the external. And it, it's much easier to look at what, what other things outside of who we are we might acquire or attain or try to succeed in or try to scale to. And that will be the answer. And yet, all throughout, the scriptures are saying a similar theme. Actually, we need to start within. We need to start within. 
Internal leads to external fruit. Internal leads to external fruit. This is what Peter has been trying to say. This is what Solomon was trying to tell his son. And this reminded me of, a, of an incident that happened when I was a child. I was between 10 and 12 years old. And I remember that uh, my parents had just recently purchased a home in South San Francisco. And it was my parents, my grandfather, and I, who, you know, who, that's who I grew up with. And I, my, my parents came from El Salvador. My grandfather came with them. And El Salvador is in Central America. It's a, it's a part of the world that's more tropical. It's very fertile, you know. It's one of those areas where, you could, literally, you could have a mango, throw out the seed, and that will probably sprout and produce a mango tree, you know. That, that, that'll happen. Just give it a couple days, um, and, and it'll, it'll emerge, you know. It'll take some time. But... It's just so fertile, right? Everything is so green. Everything, it's like there's vegetation everywhere. And there's fruit everywhere. And so my grandfather was more of an earthy man. And he, was, he, he grew up in an environment where he was used to cultivating his own, his own vegetation, his own crop. And that was just kind of a way of life. And so when we ended up moving into this home, there was a section of our backyard that were filled with trees. And they had started talking about setting up their own garden. And they had started talking about clearing out a section of these trees and creating their own garden, cultivating the earth. And they, they, they got excited. My grandfather was like, this is great. We're going we're gonna, to you know, till, we're going to fertilize this ground, we're going to have corn. And we're going to have a beanstalk, you know, and some squash. And he created, I mean, and it happened. And they were talking about this, right? But instead of hiring anybody, they decided to do it. My parents decided to work it and chop down these trees and remove it. And it was one summer in particular that I remember that this was the summer we were going to make a clearing, and this was going to happen. And I loved basketball. <laughs> and so I didn't really help out at first. I played a lot of basketball at the local park with my friends. And my parents caught on and said, well, actually, you know what? While we're at work, we'd like you to help out your grandfather. If you want to go play, you first have to help your grandpa. I said, OK, I'll do that. So I remember kind of floating around him and just asking questions, you know. I would see him, and he would be chopping down trees, and he'd be kind of digging around and doing a lot of labor, and I would just kind of ask him questions. I thought that would be helpful. And, <laughs> well, Grandpa, why are you doing that? Why, why are you removing this one? Oh, my tree house, you know, this is not good. And, and I remember just because there were different, you know, things I had already made, and he's like, oh, doesn't that hurt? I, I remember asking, doesn't that hurt the tree? And, you know, this is not good. And, and, and he, almost like a gnat, you know, I was floating around, just like buzzing around him. And maybe because I was a nuisance, he said, okay, okay, let me, you want to be helpful? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you a tree, and you're going to chop it down. I said, okay. He says, just wait right here. Goes inside, he comes out, and he hands me a machete. Now, I don't know if you know what a machete is, but a machete is, is, is it, it has kind of a curvature on one side, and it's a blade. And on the other, it has a straight angle. And it's sharp, you know, but I remember just holding it, thinking, my grandfather just gave me a sword. <laughs> this, this just got really good. <laughs> he says, now, important thing, the blade only on the tree, all right? Nothing else, just on the tree. Okay. And here's how you use it. And he showed me how to kind of hack at the tree. And he, sa he said, this is the tree. He set up a ladder on the, on the edge of it. He said, first, you're going to remove all the limbs. And then when you remove all the limbs, you're going to go ahead and chop it down. I thought, that's great. So I remember climbing up and just hacking away at the limbs. And I just felt so, you know, I was just like, like being a boy, I'm chopping down a tree. You know, this is awesome, right? And I just remember going at it and working really hard and wondering if the blade wasn't that sharp and, and just working really hard. It took a lot of work. And I finally trimmed it down, trimmed it down over a number of days. You know, by the end of the week, it was like, it was just the, the, the trunk. 
And so I remember just getting really excited. You know, we we're done with that portion. Then I, I come back. He's like, all right, now you can chop it down. And so I start hacking away. He's like, no, actually, you're going to need an axe. And he gave me a smaller axe, taught me how to kind of go at it. And so I'm going at this tree, and I'm just, like, sweating. I'm sitting down. I'm feeling manly as a boy. And I'm just sitting. She's like, and now I'm going at it again. I finally get to that point where I get to say that word, you know, that, that one word where you just, like, say it, and then it happens, right? Timber, right? And so I, I, I get my grandpa, I like, Grandpa, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And so I, I get it to a point where I think it's ready, and I say, Timber! And I push on it, and, and nothing happens. <laughs> and so he comes in, and he finishes the job for me, and we, it falls to the side, and we drag it out, and we chop it into blocks. It's going to dry it out. It's going to be our firewood. And it just felt so good. And then it's just this tree stump. And so I went ahead and flattened out the tree stump. You know, spent some time doing that, and my grandfather didn't interfere, didn't, he just let me at it. A couple hours, flatten it out, it's like a nice tabletop, and then I go inside, I put machete away, and I put on my basketball shoes, my shorts, get the basketball, I come out, and I say, all right, Gramps, it's ready. And all the while, he has been reminding me, right, this is, this is, we're clearing this out, so we could kind of get some corn and some beans, family's gonna be, it's gonna be blessing, you know, get some squash. Say, all right, Gramps, look, I got rid of this tree. Now you can plant your corn. I'm going to go play basketball. And I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those like knowing looks from somebody that's like compassion, pity, pity, you know, a little bit of sadness, love, right? He gave me one of those looks. And he says, oh, actually, you're not done. And uh, he walks over and he says, why don't you come on over? And he says, put your ball down. Let's just sit down. And we sit down around where the stump is. And he just kind of, you know, again, I'm a child. And he just starts explaining something. He says, now, son, listen, you just did the easiest part. I didn't like that. He says, underneath the dirt are these roots. And this tree is actually still alive. And over time, it's going to take a lot, lot of time, but if we don't remove the roots, if we don't do something about it, this tree will reemerge. And what will happen is if we plant the corn now or the beans now, what would happen is the root system underneath this dirt will take all the nutrients and all the moisture away from the seeds that we plant. And it will prevent the new fruit to emerge. So what we have to do is we have to dig underneath the surface. We have to find out how deep these roots go. We have to shake the tree loose and we have to uproot this tree. And he says, now that... That's the harder work. That's going to take you the rest of the summer. I didn't like that. He says, so why don't you go inside, get a shovel, and we're going to get started. And he was right. It took a lot of work to dig up under the surface, find out how deep these roots actually went. And I remember him helping me shake it back and forth, loosen up the dirt, dig some more, hack away at the roots, pull the roots out, and we just would what emerge this enormous hole and this tree, this root system. I remember it being enormous. And they had already done that, you know, with other trees, but we got this clearing out. And, and if you could hear this, he, my, my grandfather, he, he gave me a life lesson. And I may not have say, seen it back then, but he wasn't exactly only talking about trees. In our vernacular, he was pointing something out. That if we want different fruit, we must address the root. 
we must address the root. We must be willing to go below the surface, investigate what roots are there in order to be able to plant something that produces new fruit. It's extremely challenging. The surface stuff is the easiest. It's underground where the hard work emerges. And so how do we do this? How do we cultivate an inner life that produces good fruit on the external parts of who we are? See, Jesus spoke about this an awful lot. In fact, he would share in different forms of analogies and parables and illustrations. And one of the, one of the parables that he shared was actually found in the Gospel of Luke. And what he would do is he would almost, the author would preface it something like this. This is what God's work looks like. And then he would go into an analogy. And so I'm hoping as we read through this, something of, of, of God's voice to us personally may emerge. We're told in Luke 8, it says in verse 4, that when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, being Jesus, he decided to speak in a parable. He decided to give them an analogy. And he says, here's an analogy. A sower, a farmer, went out to sow seed. He went out to spread the seed. This is what God's kingdom is like. Is the understanding. And as he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And so if we could just imagine, or maybe see through an artistic rendition what this might look like. Some seed falls along the path, not cultivated, not prepared, but it's where actually it is trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air come and remove it. Some seed falls there, he says. Then he, verse 5, he says, uh, so, you know, and verse 6, excuse me, he says, and some fell on the rock. It's rockery, rocky areas, the shallow parts. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. It, it remained on the surface of the soil. It never actually had depth to it. And so when, when something would happen is it, it, it wouldn't have a source of, to kind of receive life. So it, it wouldn't have moisture. So it it would wither away. It would die. And he says in verse 7, he says, And some fell among thorns. And if you think about what that might look like, it, the thorny soil in our own heart. He says, see this soil, he says, what would happen is the thorns grew up with it. And so something landed, sprouted, would grow, but the, the thorns would grow with it and would end up choking it out. Became violently entangled with this seed. He says, and then some fell into good soil and it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. This is good soil, prepared, clean, cultivated soil. And it, the, what happened was the investment yielded a hundred times what was planted. If we think about it, a tree emerges, bears good fruit. And he comes to the end of this Parable, And he says, he said these things and he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm not just talking about farming. Hear the subtext. Hear the word within the words, he said. And he dispersed the crowd, the crowd left. And you get the sense as you read through this account that there was actually a bit of people left, but people were maybe a little bit confused. And this is where I love the disciples because the disciples didn't leave. They, they, they too were a little bit confused, but they were honest about it. And so they came to Jesus and it's almost as if what they say to him is almost as if, Jesus, listen, we, we understand farming. 
We get it. We understand agriculture. But how does that connect to what God is doing? Like, we don't get it. We, you lost us there. We get the whole analogy, but we don't understand its counterpart. How does this relate to what God's doing? And then Jesus, because they asked this question, took the risk of saying, I don't know. Jesus says to them, because you have done this, it's been given to you to understand a little bit more of the mysteries of God. And because of their question, we get a better explanation. Zach, I mean, that's just awesome. And he drops into, and it's not an allegory, but he says, let me fill in the details. Now, this is one of the rare occasions that his parables actually have an elaboration on it. But in it, he says, listen, here's some details that might help. He says in verse 11, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. See, God's word, like a seed, has life in it. And it's able to produce something that is not there before it's planted. In the same way a seed has the ability to grow into something much larger than its initial investment. That way, that's the same with God's word. His word has life in it. And it sprouts and it grows. And it emerges to something that was not there before it was planted. That's God's seed. Now, that's the seed. That's the word of God. He says, now, the, the, the seed, the ones that fell along the path are those who have heard. And then he says this statement, no qualification, no elaboration. He says, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. It's almost as if he's saying there are other forces at work here. And there are parts in our lives where God is speaking. His word is being beckoned to us and we are not aware of it. That there are times in our lives where actually God is trying to say something. But we are not aware. We have not received it. It did not plant itself. Interesting. He goes into verse 13. And the ones, he says, the seeds that fell on the rocky soil, those are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. There's something of an emotional response. They are enthusiastic. They're quick to jump on board. But what happens is that there's a lack of depth, he says. Because they, but these have no root. It stays on the surface area. It has emotion without action. And he says, they believe for a while. Something actually happens. We hear it. We receive it. It's a good word. We get excited at it. Emotionally, something happens. Maybe we're inspired. But something lacks. It doesn't penetrate to the deeper parts of who we are. He says, and after a while, when the time of testing comes, it's swept away. When it gets challenging, it's removed. Because it never had root systems internally. So that, that sometimes that's what happens. God's word is planted. It has an effect. But it doesn't last. It's not sustainable. Then he says, as for, as for the seed that fell among the thorns, the thorny soil, the, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Which is interesting to me. Out of the four soils, this is the first time Jesus actually acknowledges there is fruit. Which has, which, it has some implications for us to consider. It means that the seed, that is God's word, 
penetrated through the shallower parts, ended up going into the soil, the deeper parts of who we are. It ends up sprouting roots, ends up grabbing a hold of life source. Then something sprouts. It emerges through the soil. It starts to show itself on the external parts of life. And then it starts to bear fruit. Actual results start to happen. And something of a change in the landscape starts to emerge. However, what happens, he says, is that this fruit is stunted. Because there comes this point in, there, in the soil's life where all of a sudden the environment in which it was planted has competing interests, ambitions, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, a life that is not focused eternally. And that focus ends up, if you could hear this, attacking the life God wants to mature. Chokes it out. And we could actually start to see effect and change occur in our lives. But if we have this, don't we? Where all of a sudden there's tension and we get to decide. Will we see God's fruit to its full potential in our lives? Or will it be immature in its development? He says, that's the thorny, that's a thorny soil. This is how God works in the inner life. And then he moves towards the final soil. He says, as for those that are in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, they hold it fast. That is, they do something with it. In an honest and good heart, sincerely, actively, they respond. And they bear fruit, and here's the key phrase, with patience. They don't quit quickly. They endure and they remain. And that fruit, it emerges and it starts to have an effect, but it goes beyond the thorny soil. Because it's not stunted, but it becomes fully developed. It meets its potential. And that's good soil, he says. Rather profound parable. One that reveals our own heart to us, if we're honest with ourselves. A writer in the early 20th century, a man named G. Campbell Morgan, who was also a widely renowned preacher and author, he also commented on this parable, and he said something that I think is quite insightful for us to consider. He said, the men, and this is a quote just at the bottom of your handout, the men who hear, men being inclusive of both genders, male and female, the men who hear the word but do not understand, the soil is unreceptive, he says. It is not teachable. The men who hear and rejoice, they have an emotion, but fail to obey, no action. The soil is non-productive. It's barren. It's not effective. The men who hear, but who respond to the age about them, that is, the culture in which we live, ends up dominating the internal workings of our heart. He says the soil becomes destructive to what God is trying to do. It ends up destroying what God is trying to plant. But the men... He says, the people who hear and understand, they follow up, they clarify, they move on it. In the full sense, they experience it. To such the soil is, listen, this is great, receptive, teachable, productive, it produces an effect and a change. And if we could hear this, constructive, it builds a life that sustains. Look at that. 
What a great picture. This is what it looks like for God to want us, for God to build something inside of us. And so the question inevitably we come to is, which soil am I? Right? We start to consider and we start to wonder. And if we're honest with ourselves, we start to get a little bit concerned. Because what we see, and if just truth be told, we have all four soils in us. Not one of us can claim, I am filled with good soil and nothing else. Oh, I wish that were true. But if we're honest, there are areas in our lives where we are not receptive to what God may want to say. There are other areas in our lives where we may have something of an enthusiasm, an emotional kind of response. We know it's good news. But then the action is lacking a little. There might be other areas where we start to see something emerge of an effect. Something starts to change and shift in our own internal landscape. But yet we have competing interests, don't we? We have other ambitions. We have other points of conflict within us. And if we're honest with ourselves, that is where it becomes very challenging. And then there are other portions of our heart that we have been cultivating for some time and we start to see something emerge and maturity starts to develop. And, and the, the difficulty with this is that it's not altogether one soil. That God longs to do something within us, which, which brings us to a couple things. See, in order for us to consider what it might look like for us to build a life that has a sustainable faith, there are a couple things I'd like us to consider. See, in order for us to do this, to be able to cultivate the good fruit in our lives. It, it calls us to things. Firstly, it calls us. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what Peter has been trying to kind of encourage us through the past several weeks. Is that we are to pay attention to the interior work God wants to do in our lives. That there is something that if we, we listen to this. It's internal leading to external. We are to start with the interior work God wants to do. And so what does that look like? It looks like developing some habits. And asking ourselves some questions and starting to investigate things internally. So, for example, why do I do the things that I do? Why do I say some things when certain things, why do those things come out of me? What does the landscape of my soul look like? What's the condition of the soil inside of me? Why do I respond in a certain way? When this comes, it filters through the soil of my heart and out comes this behavior, this value. Why? So we start to gain an understanding of what's going on internally. We start to become aware of our heart. But not only that, it, if we could also maybe summarize where we've been, it's asking the question, God, what are you trying to plant inside of me? What are you seeking to breathe new life how are you, what are you trying to produce in my heart that currently may not exist? Or maybe what are the areas, God, where you're asking, you're challenging me with loving, tender kindness to move beyond emotion and into action? Or maybe you're asking me to clean out certain things. There are thorny areas. There are competing interests you're asking me to put away. So that this could emerge into maturity. What are those things? See, to, in, to step and engage with God in terms of his interior work. That's what it looks like. To build a life that is sustainable with him. 
Because it, it's not only that, right? But it also leads us, if we look at this parable for what it is, and what Jesus is saying is that cultivating a good fruit, the interior life, it also leads us to being willing. It challenges us, encourages us to being open to sharing his good word in our conversations. If you can see this, we are not to only receive his word, but we are to be willing to step into becoming the sower of his good word. It was a number of weeks ago in which I was, um, you know, some of you may know, but I'm going through some training right now, some school, taking courses and different assignments that I need to complete. And one of those assignments was um, to read this book and to write a review on it. And I had delayed doing so to the point where I felt now pressure to get this done. Maybe some of you might understand, but I felt pressure and I, I needed to complete this book, Simply Christian. And so I, I felt like I'm kind of down to the wire. I can't really do this at home. I feel like I'll procrastinate too much. So I made my way over to the coffee shop and by my house and I went ahead and sat down and, and uh, I sat in this particular coffee shop. There's a leather seat and then there's a coffee table and there's a leather seat in front of it. And, and I remember just sitting down and I was there for some other reasons as well, but one of them was to complete this assignment. And I was, you know, a good portion of the way through, but I needed to finish this book and I only had a, a window of hours. And so I remember just sitting down and I'm reading and trying to focus on this book and, and I'm kind of fighting the pressure I'm feeling and the stress I'm feeling. And, and then up walks a man who I had met about six months prior to this. And he had found out I was a minister. And so he comes up and he sits down right in front of me. And he says, you're the minister. And I'm reading and I say, yeah, that's me. And he says, um, what are you reading? I said, well, it's this, um, it's a book, Simply Christian. And then I said, you know what? I really need to finish it. <laughs> and I only got a couple hours. And so I got to kind of focus on reading this book. And he, he says, oh, it's okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'll let you be. Go ahead. Do your reading. Don't mind me. I'll let you be. I said, great. So I go back and I try to refocus and it takes me a little bit of time. There's a lot of thoughts going in my mind. And so just kind of, and, and as I'm trying to focus on the book, I sense, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but he's just staring at me. And, <laughs> and he has his own reading material and he tries to read it, but he's just kind of staring at me and I feel him there and, and I know he wants to talk. And so I have this internal tension. I, he, he wants to have a conversation, but I have an assignment to do. And so I, I'm going to do my assignment, you know. And so I'm reading this and it just gets to a point where I'm kind of fighting through this and I'm reading and I'm reading and it gets a good amount of time, about an hour or so, and my mind starts to wander and you start to read, but you're not really comprehending what you're reading, get to one of those places, take a break, put my book down, go outside, take a stretch, come back inside. And as I sit down, he gets up, he gathers all these things. I thought, okay, this is great. We have a short conversation and it'll be good. I'll get back to my reading. And so I ask him, hey, how's your reading going? How'd it go? He says, oh, well, but what are you reading? How's your going? I said, well, mine is going, it's good. It's a good book. He says, what is it called? I said, well, it's Simply Christian. And then he reads the subtitle. He says, why Christianity makes sense. And he reads it and he says, why Christianity makes sense, huh? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Jesus is one of many ways of God. And something inside of me happened. It just kind of got triggered, you know? It's just like, ah, I didn't like that. So I said, well, actually, he claimed, he claimed to be the way to God. It's kind of what sets him apart from everything else. He made this crazy claim that he was the way to God. And he says, what, no, where? And I said, well, and then walk through John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, wow, I mean, he's a great teacher. 
I'll give you that. He was a great teacher, one of the great teachers historically. He's a great model. I said, well, and if you've ever read Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis makes this argument. And I said, well, I mean, he, think about it. If he says he's the way to God, then his claim makes him either a lunatic, he's crazy. A liar makes, means he's worse than a lunatic. Or he's the real thing. And he sat down. And now internally I'm thinking, you have an assignment to do. <laughs> you have to finish this book and write this paper. What are you doing? And so he engages in the conversation. He's, he says, what do you mean? Where do you see that? He says, well, it's in the scriptures. If you, if you take the scriptures for what they say, we can talk about that. We have this dialogue back and forth. He puts his stuff aside, and we now are in a conversation. Nothing defensive, nothing that's uh, in any way offensive. We just have this dialogue. And inside of him, if you could hear this, you could see him wrestling. And all of a sudden, I'm in this conversation, and I only had a window of time, and we spent over an hour talking. And I'm getting a little bit more stressed because I'm having this conversation. Part of me is excited. Another part of me is thinking, man, you have this. But now you really are under the gun, you know. And so we get to the end of the conversation. And it's not, you know, this is a beautiful thing. It's not us. It's not on us to produce fruit. We're just meant to share. And by the end of the conversation, I said, you know what? Okay, listen, maybe you can't buy into it. That's fine. But just Maybe do yourself, do, do me a favor in our conversation. For the sake of conversation, imagine if what Jesus said about himself was true. How would that affect you? Just imagine it. I'm not saying you have to buy into it. But what implications would that have? And he silenced with loudness behind his eyes. I was sharing this with, you know, we were talking last night, and it's like, you know what, Lewis, it's so funny. You thought your assignment was to read and review Simply Christian when your assignment was actually to be Simply Christian. And in this season, maybe we may not feel comfortable speaking to a stranger, but maybe we are to be simply those who spread his good word in the midst of our friendships, people who have been watching us, reading us from afar, maybe in our coworker relationships, this, in this season where the defenses are lowered, cynicism is lessened, there's an openness to a gentle word, a good word, a kind word. Maybe it's a kind word laced, undergirded by the one who has been extremely kind to us. Maybe it's other areas of our lives where we speak a word of forgiveness and it's a seed. It's not the fruit of forgiveness yet, but it's the seed. We say, because of the one who forgave me, I want to do this for you. Maybe, maybe that's the good word we are to share. Because when we do this, when we move, you see it, the interior work produces exterior results. What happens is we end up being able to move into this last point and then we'll be, we'll be able to move forward. So we cling to the harvest that his word is filled with life. And the promise is that when it is planted, it will produce. It is the surest thing we have. 
it will produce. And we will start to see something emerge within us that maybe was not there before. All of a sudden, we were not as courageous before, and all of a sudden, we start to see it emerge. We were not maybe characterized as gentle or loving or kind or patient, but the one who is is planting something new inside of us. And if we remain and we cling to the harvest, we will see it emerge inside of our soul. Can you see it? The harvest within us and the harvest through us. What an amazing promise we're given. We get to respond to the seed that gives life. And in this season, may that be the case. May we step into and respond, activate, build on our lives a faith that produces good fruit. May we do this. May we rejoice in it together. In a moment, we're going to have the band come and share in a song, closing, reflective song, meant to help us consider where exactly God may want to have us focus. But um, why don't I pray, and then we'll go ahead and share in our closing moments. We'll have our, receive our time of giving as well. But Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you truly are the giver of good things. And that above all things, you give us your word of life. I thank you, God, that you are the one who produces the life. (laughs) You're the one who produces the good fruit inside of us. You ask us to do, you ask us, you invite us to respond. And so I pray that you would show us, God, where it is you want us to respond. Perhaps there are areas you want us to be a little bit more receptive to you. Maybe there are areas you want us to unite action with emotion and enthusiasm. Go a little deeper. Maybe there are areas, God, you want to clean out of our own soul. Maybe there are areas, God, in which you long to produce something of life through us. We become the sower. I ask, God, that you would help us respond and unite to your good work. And that we would be able to taste good fruit in us and through us, Lord. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.